Hey everybody, welcome to the DC3 cast. Boys, can you believe this is the 29th week of Rebirth? Who's counting? Me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Now, just I was making the podcast post before and I realized, hey, this is week 29. That's kind of crazy that it's been going on for that long. That is crazy. <laughs> anyway, I am Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. And we're going to talk about all the DC books you want to hear us talk about. Probably, maybe. Not counting Dark Knight 3. Um, uh, as always, this is a spoiler podcast. We talk about things that happened in the issues that came out on December 28th. So if you haven't read those books yet, pause the podcast, read the books, come back to us. Uh, we're going to start with actually something a little bit different. This was a co-publication of IDW and DC, as well as some contributions from Archie and some image creator own books. Uh, this is the love is love anthology came out, uh, this past week. It's quite large, 140-something pages, I believe, and um, features, I mean, just an incredible amount of talent from the comics industry. Everybody from the biggest names, you know, Jim Lee and uh, I think Brian Bendis has a piece in here, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, all the way down to you know indie cartoonists for whom a lot of people, maybe this is their first time seeing their work. It's... Um, it's, it's an impressive work just based on the talent assembled, as well as the fact that every penny made from this is going to uh, a charity organization called Equality Florida, which uh, is the largest civil rights organization of in, the, in the state that deals with the LGBTQ community. This is a benefit for the uh, victims and the families of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, which happened earlier this year. Um and as I was saying, it's impressive. Even the uh, even the paper that it was printed on was donated. So there are literally no costs associated with this book. And so every penny that you that gets put into this book is coming into uh, into the charity's hands, which is a wonderful thing. Um, because of the scope of the book, it's a real mixed bag for me in terms of quality of story. But I think that there's no denying. It is a it is a wonderful book, based purely on intention, and uh, and a, a fair number of the stories. What did you guys think of the contents of the book? Well, I thought I thought more of it worked than than didn't, and I think I think the key thing that you focus on when you're talking about something like this is not whether it was worth the ten dollars or whatever, you know, but but I'll say for. 160 pages or whatever it was um this is a ten dollars that's better spent especially considering the i mean and 99 percent of the reason why this is the case is because of the cause that it's going towards you know but mm -hmm. um but i think the number of pages you get the quality of the work ten dollars is what you would have paid for that uh dc christmas issue right right is that right? Yes. And that was a great that was a great issue, and I thought that that was worth ten dollars. And this is like almost double that size. So, so if we're talking pure numbers, like don't worry about the the price tag on this. It's well worth the money. Um, but I, I think for the most part, I think even in the ones, even in the 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 little segments that didn't work for me, the intentions were almost always there. Um, there were 
one or two weird moments. Um, but, uh, but I think, um, everything, I think the other key thing about it is that the segments are also short. I mean, almost none of them last more than two pages. And the longest is two pages. Yeah. The, the longest is two pages. So there you go. So anything that doesn't strike the right chord or tone or whatever is just, you you just flip right by it. It's easy to ignore, um, you know, it's, it's over quickly. So, so I think for the most part, this, this is a really great, uh, bang for your buck and it's a huge, huge cause that should be supported. Um, and we can talk more specifics, but I mean, overall, I, I thought this was really nice. You could really feel the emotional investment that, that people have in creating this. And, and I think that's the most important thing. Exactly. Anything to add to that? Um, yeah, just kind of like going off, you know, the whole like value thing, kind of in that same vein. You, you know, you, you think like there are a lot of creators in here uh, that normally I wouldn't particularly care for. Like, I mean, like nothing against like Jeff King, but like, I actually kind of like Convergence, but <laughs> but like you know, Telos isn't like you know on the you know my top 10 books of all time or anything but like he wrote a really nice story in here and so like a lot of and not just to like call him out specifically he was just the first one i thought of there you know there are a lot of other creators in here that i'm either not familiar with or wouldn't normally read um but there's there's just a lot of like really quality stuff in here and it's just so impressive um you know, just like some of the things that they did in here, like one, just alone, like the collaboration is impressive, but the way that like DC characters are, um, are used. And then like, even, I mean, the Jim Lee, Harry Potter piece, that's like kind of huge, in oh, itself, yeah. you know, yeah. like that's kind I of crazy that, that that even exists. So, yeah. um, yeah, like it's a really good cause. And I've, did I like, is it, is it, I haven't seen it like in a shop. I haven't been to a shop. Is it hard to find? Cause I, I had heard that people were like kind of scalping them. Really? Uh, I, I don't know. On Twitter that like people were kind of scalping them on eBay. Well, that's oh, really? shitty. Yeah, yeah. That's too bad. Um, uh, I imagine it wasn't like, I imagine it didn't do insane numbers, you know? Yeah. Just cause of the price point. Right. Yeah. Um, I like the um, Deathstroke story. <laughs> that that was great. <laughs> to me, and and maybe I'm painting with with too broad a brush here. To me, that was the only DC story that really worked. Oh, really? Yeah. I like I like the Harley and Ivy one. That oh, that fun. one was okay. That one yeah. was good. Yeah. I, I I guess to me it just like I just have a problem. This reminds me, and, and you know, the the events that led to it are are similar but not comparable but this reminds me of like dr doom crying because 9-11 you know yeah. it's just like a weird yeah. moment of a fictional character being emotionally invested in something that happens in the real world i just i find that just weird i'm not saying it's bad or good it's just i don't particularly care for that because it just takes me out of both three it makes it makes the tragedy seem less real and makes the character seem less fictional you know what i'm saying um yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it 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 undermines the tragedy of it because um in every other issue of a comic book they're dealing with 
potential stakes that are a million times higher than what we can even imagine because there's things like science fiction and magic involved. And to, to bring something very real and very tragic into that is... <laughs> At the same time as it's lowballing the reality of the situation, it's also like kind of infantilizing the the infantilizing it as well you know like it's it's turning it into something cartoonish whether that's intentional or not you know right it just seems but to I, me like you know i think that go, oh, ahead. go ahead no no you, you finish i was gonna say i just i like i think in this case like dr doom crying doesn't make sense in any context that we were you know any way you interpret that scene, it doesn't make any sense. Here, like this one-page Deathstroke thing is... It's its clearly trying to mix humor with... I mean, it was written by Saturday Night Live's Taron Killam. Right, yes, so. exactly, exactly. Taron Killam! Former cast member, Taron <laughs> Killam! <laughs> Slade Wilson! <laughs> I'm sorry. Christopher Guest. <laughs> Here we go, Vince. Christopher Priest. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, anyway, it, it was clearly supposed to be a pithy one page, you know. Rather than turning Doctor Doom into, like, a sobbing mess, they turned a villain into somebody who, like, sarcastically gives up on... <laughs> on his uh, uh who, who sarcastically gives up a little piece of himself you know right, right. It, it's it's really it i thought that struck just the right tone you know yeah, especially I, I considering was... it's not this is not a part of any continuity it's Taron Killam having fun with a very you know until priest wrote him a rather one note character yeah yeah uh, you know that one I, I guess i had more of a problem with like you know, Batman at the crime scene seemed seemed a little bit much for me, mm-hmm. and the sort of inherent problem with bringing a tragedy like this into the pages of a fictional reality with superheroes, like you know, I remember you know having very real conversations with with friends, probably with you guys, the morning after that happened, saying like you know how could this how could this be the world we live in? How are the people with this much hate in their hearts? But when you put it in a world with Superman, then you, then there there's these questions like, well, why wouldn't someone have stopped that? Or you know, it just it just it just it, it raises questions that diminishes the reality of the situation. Uh-huh. Um, but I will say, the good, both the good in terms of good comics and the good in terms of the cause certainly outweigh those uncomfortable situations. You know, um, former guest of the show. Uh, Josh Fialkoff did a real nice story about his daughter seeing this on the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were I'm, I'm trying to pick out some other personal favorites of mine. I liked a couple of the the, the pinups. Like Judd Winnick did that little. It was like a rainbow flag at half mast, mm-hmm. and that was just a very powerful, like very small image. You know, um, I liked the Ivan Reyes one. Yes, with yes. all of the like, I liked that it. I mean, it didn't have Hal, you know, it had... Well, Hal's in the background, isn't he? No, I don't think so. That was, I think it has, like, I'm trying to get to it. It had Jessica, <laughs> Simon, Kyle, 
John, John and, I think and Alan. Alan. Oh, it was Alan. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, 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 Fred, I, that, well, the, Earth, the like, James Robinson Earth 2 version. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I liked, um, I mean, it was cool to see, like, Liam Sharp do a Wonder Woman one. Um, uh-huh. What did you think of the Tom King, Mitch, Jared's uh, <laughs> Batman? <laughs> I texted that to Brian and I said something like, guess who wrote this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what I thought about it. I, I think, I think, um, again, it's so hard to, it's so hard to shit on a creator who's trying to do something really nice here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not. Yes. I, I don't want to shit on anybody. Here. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just saying that that is like, so it was so Tom King <laughs> that like, that's the only reason I found it funny. I I, th- yeah. I thought it was fine. I think. Yeah. I thought it was fine too. You know, it, it, exactly. Like none of these, y- you can't put these under the same like critical lens, you know, mm-hmm. because that's, it's not there to tell a story. Necess- it's, in the in the same way, you know, right, and yeah. and some of them come off if if you do try and read it that way, come off as like incredibly heavy handed and over the top. But when you realize that there there's trying to be a message relayed here that you it's like some of the subtler ones, I don't know if worked as well as some of the more overt ones, just because of the because of the outrage felt at this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's it's a situation that called for for being heavy handed. Yeah, I mean these these aren't these are like people's feelings, and you know this is them. This is almost kind of like catharsis in the form of art and story. So, right. I mean, you'd kind of be like a douche to, to critique. <laughs> it. Well, the storytelling here is subpar. Right. Exactly. Know? Especially, it's hard to tell. Like you know, there are some of these that have two credited co-writers, and it's a one-page, one-panel story. So, yeah. like you know, it, it, it's it, it's hard to even determine what's. You know what's a story? What's a pinup? What's you know? It, yeah, and, who, yeah. and ultimately, who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Dio story was cool. What was that one again? <laughs> that it was kind of like the, was the it, like Estranio. Yeah, yeah, and and you know Maggie and and uh, Batwoman. Oh and yeah. Apollo and Midnighter at and, like a bar or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just kind of talking about like the history of of comics. Yeah, yep. about the AIDS vampire, yes. which was oh, an yeah. actual thing. In, yeah, was that what it was called? Yes, Hemogoblin. Goblin. Yeah, yeah, an actual thing in DC continuity. Yeah, yeah. Fucking a. Um, I, I go ahead. I, I was gonna say, I guess the the ones that worked best for me overall were the ones where you can tell that. Um, Oh my gosh! What the ones that? Oh, oh, I'm, just, I'm on the the wiki page for Hemocomplex. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the ones that worked best for me are the ones where where it was people, um, really working through the situation. You know, uh-huh. um, Matthew Rosenberg's I really liked. Yep, yep, yep. Um, just you know, like. Like the the ones that mixed like the senselessness of it all with um with you know like like some sort of introspection as well you know yeah um that those really you know uh the ones the ones that featured like superheroes or whatever I will always think that those are those are just nice well intentioned uh, ways to because these to people the, these characters are icons right yeah. 
Um, and so there are people that, that really depend on them to lift them up, you know, like, yeah, they're fictional characters, but, you know, people do rely on them in some fashion. Right, you know, know, there might be a kid who picks this up and it's heartening to them to see Batman care. Yeah. You know, whereas that might seem silly to us. There there are people out there for whom that might be actually quite powerful. Yeah. And I, 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 silly wouldn't be the word that I would use, but, um, just not necessarily for us, you know. Well, but I, I just mean silly in the terms of the mixing of the reality and the, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, um, I, I will say there was one very unintended consequence of this book for me, which was that when this book was announced, obviously there was this feeling that the world is better than this, this country is better than this. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, there's that. There's that Legion of Superheroes story where they talk about how, like, this was a real turning point in our country's history and how people realize enough is enough. And reading that after the Trump election was like, oh, no, we're not better than this. Like, <laughs> yeah. there are still a lot of people out there who who don't agree with with the message of this. And not that I needed – not that this showed me that, you know. Right, but, right, uh, right. But it was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Well, and that – you know, that is also, I know nobody likes to talk about privilege, you know, like you use that word and you get attacked uh, attacked by like Twitter eggs, you know? Yeah. But like this really is, that like that juxtaposition that you're talking about is the perfect example of why, uh, and this is going to sound so cliche, but why we do need to check our privilege because um, <laughs> we take for granted sometimes. You know, I read a book like this and I think like this is really heartwarming. Yes, this is all true. I take for granted that half of the country doesn't even think about this stuff. Right. You know, doesn't even consider it. And um, and that bums me out and it makes stuff like this so important because if one person reads this and sees like the the labor of love that all this stuff is, you know, and um, and that it's being used in such a positive way. Um, then it's worthwhile, you know. Mm-hmm. But but even I, who am totally sympathetic with all the stuff um, in this book and and the cause and everything, you know, I'm I'm behind it 100. percent Even I forget that like <laughs> not everybody feels that way, right? Right. And that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. Um, I do also want to point out there was one story that made me laugh out loud. Uh-huh. And the oh, story is the wrong word, and that's the Jonathan Hickman pinup. Oh, because it's like nothing, and it says love is love, and this is the most Hickman thing in the world. You know, it's yeah, just yeah. like the minimalist. Yeah, it's just uh, this minimalist design, design that is kind of a rainbow, but not really. <laughs> and you know, it's just like it's, it was just it was perfectly Hickman. And I'm again, I'm sure with the best of intentions, it's just so oblique and wonderfully uh, Hickmanian. It's just you know what? very Hickman. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what made me laugh the, the loudest what in was this that? book? Uh, the contribution by Brian Michael Bendis, which had no words. <laughs> I, I didn't think it possible, gentlemen. <laughs> Hi-oh. <laughs> um, try, try, try some of that in your, in your regular ongoing writing, my friend, please. Yeah. All right. Well, um, 
I, I think all three of us endorse picking that book up just for the uh, for the support of the of the cause, and and you get a, a you get a couple of really touching stories out of it too. So, all right, let's move on to the um, the regular rebirth stuff for this week. Um, it's a lot of books, so we're gonna try and fly through these. Uh, Action Comics number nine hundred and seventy, written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Patrick Zercher. Um, the Trial of Lex Luthor. Can we put Dan Jurgens on trial? We really should. <laughs> this is a bad comic. Uh, to me, I I I'm just it's just. Uh, again, it it spent an entire issue debating whether Lex Luthor is going to actually commit mass murder in the future or not. And it gets it gets nowhere with that idea. Like we don't, <laughs> yeah. They don't they don't really prove it to to be the case, right? And then and then so like Superman decides at the end that Lex Luthor must die, <laughs> right? Or why? that he's guilty at least. Yeah. Why? Why? Why was that again? I didn't. I guess I didn't catch like why he all of a sudden had a change of heart. Because uh, he had a mother box and something oh. something. Because yeah. he possessed a mother box. That's right. Yeah. Uh. Um, so I, I have I have a favorite moment from this issue and then I have an overall observation of this issue. My favorite moment is Lex Luthor who talks about like how smart he is the whole issue, right? He's like, for some reason my armor is inhibited and there's this <laughs> giant fucking inhibitor on his armor. And like, you know, he has no idea. He's like, what is this? It's it's the most ridiculous thing. It's essentially that far side cartoon of the kid pushing the pole door <laughs> but with Lex Luthor. Um to be fair to him, his armor is so ridiculously big and bulky that if you added something onto it, he'd probably never notice. Yeah, I don't think he can like turn his head. That, that, that is fine there. That is true. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Um, no, <laughs> no, you don't. I, I know, I know. Uh, you, this issue to me felt like, and I'm sure you both have been there. You know the fight you have with your with your significant other, where at the end of the fight you're just you're you're on such different pages and there's no resolution, and you're just repeating the same things over and over again, and you realize at a certain point like this is silly, we shouldn't be fighting. That's this whole issue where Luther's, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, you're going to do it. He's like, but I'm not going to do it. But you're going to do it. And you're going to see them like in their underwear at 4 a.m. having this conversation. <laughs> because and there's there's no way to end it. They, they, they can't prove it either way. And so Jurgens just spends 20 pages of them yeah. bullshit bickering over it. I, I really don't know how this arc is like going to go anywhere. <laughs> like, just... I, it, just uh, think about this for a second, Zach. I'm asking you, Zach, because you are you are the Superman fanatic among us. Think about all that's happened in the Superman title. Uh huh. Has there been like one tenth of the story in actual oh, comics? No. Like, I mean, you think about it. Like, the Doomsday thing could have been like two issues, and it was you know. six. It was six. Yeah. Then you had those the fill-ins, which like I I barely can even remember. You know, the the like lowest issue and the. Which I actually kind of like. That was probably my favorite issue of this series so far. And then the Clark issue, or maybe there were two. There were two or three Clark issues. Maybe, yeah. See, I don't mean, and that, you know, that whole storyline, like, every, like, when Clark is like, Clark is so annoying in this issue. Like, let me just say that. <laughs> like, every time he talks, like, you just want to slap him. Just like, <laughs> and basically, that's what they, like, both, like, Lois and, and 
Perry White, like they're just like verbally abusing him. Like, <laughs> Clark, shut up. <laughs> I'm just gonna be here for you guys. Like, yeah, no, yeah. No, which no, like that, you know, that plot thread's like just spinning its wheels. And then, and, and, yeah, this arc, you know, it, it's kind of retreading the same ground every issue. I don't see how you can like have a satisfying conclusion either. You know, he's like evil and he's gonna turn into dark side, or he's not. He's this has been for nothing. So. Yeah, I mean, no, it, I'm, it's not anywhere near the Superman title. Um, Zercher's art is still, I mean, it's good. Yeah, I like yeah. his art. Yeah. But um, I like the Doomsday appearance in this. Looked good. Can I, uh, can, can I, can I do an, can I make an observation here? Sure. Observe Do- away. Doomsday or Dark Side? I'm sorry, Dark Side. I meant Dark yeah. Side, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, my my. I get Jurgens on the brand. I instantly go to Doomsday. <laughs> uh, my uh, my observation is that Dan Jurgens loves 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 to write characters referring to other characters, but then having to say like the one from my timeline. <laughs> like how many times does like Superman's narr- narrating and he's like Lex Luthor, at least the one from my timeline was an evil man or whatever it's like if you have to find yourself having to do that several times an issue you've written yourself such a shitty plot that like this whole like who's from what timeline thing just needs to die it's it's awful it's awful to read and i don't care just move on well let's let's do that let's move on to all-star Batman. uh oh (laughs) number five Written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by John Romita Jr. Uh, this was actually our comic of the month. Oh man, guys, <laughs> I didn't really like this very much. And I... and I, I I have like a few. You you guys can talk about it. I can tell you why I didn't like it. it. Tell us why. Was... Let's start with why you didn't like it. There were a few things. Um, one, I just like it. It didn't really end. I don't feel like you know i mean it, there was an ending but it was just so it's like oh they didn't find the bat cave because reasons and yeah I, like i did you know that was weird and oh the whole thing about the like the the cure and the <laughs> the anti-cure and the oh oh i just I was doing all kinds of like mental somersaults to make that work in my head. And I, you know, I don't want to like overpick, like this is comic books, but like, it's, you know, it just feels like so as a pharmacist convoluted. That really, that really bothers you, right? Huh? As a pharmacist that like, really. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like this, the, 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 like medical pseudoscience, like that's one thing. Like I, I really do like Scott Snyder as a writer. Like I really liked, um, I really like American Vampire, and I I love like Black Mirror is one of my favorite Batman stories. But especially like in the New Fifty Two Batman, and in this like there there's this kind of like weird pseudoscience thing that I always feel like is just kind of reaching. Um, and kind I mean of? that's just me. That's just me. It just oh yeah, it just like a it pushes a button. Well, okay, let, let, let me give you guys my analysis of All-Star Batman. I've been thinking about this a lot because Zach had texted us about this book before I had read the issue. And you're spot on with the pseudoscience thing. But I think that 
I've enjoyed these issues quite a bit, but there's been something that's kind of been eating at me about them, and I haven't been able to figure out what it is yet, and I think I, I, I figure it out after reading this issue. Snyder's Batman in this book is somebody, like, you know, there, there's that old cliche about how Batman is the most prepared person for every battle, and that's why he's so great, and I, I'm totally on board with that as a, as a Batman characteristic, but... Batman is prepared in the way that a little kid on the playground when, when, make, when playing make-believe is prepared. Like, I'm going to shoot you with a gun that shoots sharks. Oh, well, I have a shield that stops shark shooting guns so you can't get me. Like, that is his Batman in this. Every possible bullshit contingency he's prepared for and not in a fun, oh, Batman thought Lex Luthor would have this so he did this. Like, no, there's no way he could be prepared for all of these things. It's just so over the top. <laughs> yeah yeah i i will say just to uh, just to add to what yeah zach i agree with you i didn't this was not my favorite issue of the series it was it's not you know it's probably in the bottom half of the things that scott snyder has done with batman over the years but um one thing i do like about all-star batman under snyder is that uh, Snyder and Ramita Jr., I should say. Um, its tone is completely different from any other uh, superhero book on the stands. I mean, to, to, and what I mean by that is, like, it really does feel to me like it's a Batman book with a little bit of a looser feel to it. It almost feels like... It almost feels like indie, like without there being any like uh, you know greater maturity or anything. It almost feels like it could be like Vertigo Batman, mm-hmm. just the way that it 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 takes its time with things and it feels like it's a, it's a lot looser. Um, it, like it doesn't include any continuity as far as I can tell that is identifiable as rebirth continuity really other than Duke being with him, you know, it, it just, it feels like a tangential adventure to me and uh, it looks different from any other book. And I just, yeah, there's, there's something about the tone that I like, uh, even if the actual content of this last issue didn't do much for me. Yeah. I feel like this is kind of a, you know, we loved Romita's art in the first issue and then kind of maybe had some qualms with it as the series went on. But I think this issue is pretty much on par with the first issue oh, in terms of yes. in terms of the art. It's really good. Yeah. yeah, it is really good. I love the I've come to love the way that he stages the scene. Like the scene of them um escaping from uh the villains on the boat and then they like they jump on the big casino chip and sort of like float down the the river for a while that was staged so well that there was actually tension to the scene even though you knew that somehow they were going to survive it you know mm-hmm. um it felt really propulsive in that way um it was good yeah 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 i think you know i i text you guys when i read it and i you know i had that like initial knee-jerk reaction like looking back at it i didn't like dislike it as much as i kind of intuited there yeah i think you know there i i do think like the ending has a little 
there's some issue there, especially because it doesn't seem like, I mean, the next issue is Mr. Freeze and, it, you know, we have like a series of one shots, it seems like. So it's not like this is really going to be followed up anywhere. Right. Necessarily. So I, I kind of expected this to be more of like a, you know, more of a complete package. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, I, I, but I, who knows what we'll get, you know, this is monthly comics, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had a bit of a problem with the sniveling Alfred in this issue. I, I, I felt like Alfred was very quick to give up the uh, like every bit of information and was just like a real mess. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. I thought for sure that 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 was what Zach meant when when he was talking about how it was he didn't like it. Uh-huh. Like I thought for I mean, sure you were was, talking that, about that was how... part of it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just kind of goes against the Alfred that we've seen for so long, you know. <laughs> like even the Alfred this night was written before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it yeah, it seems really careless of like it seems like careless of Alfred in a way that like should have bit them in, in the ass earlier. Um, so you think that the crying butler saying, I'm sorry, Master Bruce, I'm sorry, when they bring him to a man cave is not going to raise suspicion? <laughs> well, they know fair, about your Maxim some, uh, subscription. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, he has like granny porn in there that he's not particularly <laughs> proud of. Uh. <laughs> Bruce likes those gilfs. <laughs> On Sorry. that note, <laughs> let's move on to uh, Batgirl, number six, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Raphael Albuquerque. This is the epilogue to the uh, Beyond Birdside story. It's a, a Babs and Poison Ivy story. It takes place on an airplane, and uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. What did you guys think? This was a lot of fun. Yeah. This might have yeah, been my favorite fun. issue I, so I, far. I, Oh really? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like the way that Larson. I like the way that Larson handles Batgirl. I, it's just I think she's got. I think in less than an arc, she got perfectly down like the amount of, um, sort of like street level butt kicking she needs to do, and her like, kind of, uh, you know, young adult Burnside personality. I think I think she's got the mix just right already. Yeah, and it, it's kind of hard to screw up, screw up a story that Albuquerque's doing art on, because that guy's just so good. Mm. Wish I had more to say about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was really good. I, yeah. I you know I kind of like I I don't have much more to say. I mean it, you know because it's like a one and done. Um, kind of just set the stage for the next arc but it was a lot of fun i liked it a lot all right that brings us to batman beyond number three number three right yeah number three written by dan jurgens yet again illustrated by bernard chang and uh zach I'm, i'm gonna just guess you wilkerson this oh really hard (laughs) <laughs> would, would, uh, uh, um, 
<laughs> and Blue Beetle. So, um, you know, Batman Beyond is not a good comic. <laughs> and this week there was a twist that um I guess adds twist is fucking great. I'll give it that. <laughs> you really think so? It's a great twist in a horrible, horrible comic, and it's great in the way that it's, like, so absurd and obvious, and yet, like, like it's ironically a great twist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh... Basically, basically, the body that's been laying in the hospital bed that we thought they've been reviving as the Joker is actually Bruce Wayne in Joker makeup. <laughs> and that's absurd yep yep um there's a lot of terrible jurgens dialogue in this book oh oh this this book is not shway guys not shway at all um it's just it's just bad this is a bad comic uh so so i right off the bat like he keeps having Terry have to like convince these guys that he is because he's infiltrated the, the Joker squad or whatever. Yeah. As the child and, of Miles uh, Malone. Yeah. Matches Malone. Match, right? Matches Malone. Matches Malone. My apologies. Yeah. Um, and he keeps having to say like, they're, they're like, Oh, surprised we haven't heard of you before. And he, and he has to say like, well, I've always preferred to work alone until now. My you know, girlfriend like, lives in Canada. Again, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Again, it's it's Jurgen this is the same thing he does in action comics and it's just um it's just bad writing and it's something that he's not gonna correct anytime soon, I don't think. That he has to have characters over and over and over again like re-explain their situations because I don't know if he doesn't respect the reader's intelligence enough or if he thinks that because it's like a monthly comic, he needs to remind everybody, but like, it's almost like he has to remind it. Like, actually this is Terry under this makeup in case you forgot, you know, like, <laughs> in or case like you're a real dumb dozen... shit. Yeah. Or the dozen times he has to have people say like, well, you can't – can you really uh, punish a man who hasn't committed a crime yet? Like, he literally has to have that statement made, like, 12 times in an issue. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it that problem extends to everything that he writes. So this is never going to be a good comic, I'm afraid. And um, – and also, like, when when is Batman Beyond going to actually look like the future and not like what we thought the future was going to look like in the 80s? <laughs> uh, we also have to talk about how the lead-up to that uh, twist ending is just a villain giving a soliloquy for no good reason. Like, <laughs> there really – there's an art to getting somebody to download information for the reader – 
Like there, there's an art to making that not inherently sound terrible, and Jurgens does not possess that talent whatsoever. This is just a guy walking around, looking at his fist, literally looking at his fist, and talking about the story, um, and like stroking the face of Bat of Bruce Joker while he tells the story. It's it's oh, anytime there's face stroking. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else to add before we continue the parade of shit? <laughs> you mean the other book that I didn't read this week? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh. No. Right. Well, this, that's it. This brings us to Blue Beetle. This is number four? Yeah, number four by Keith Giffen and Scott Collins. And so this issue is, is kind of a uh, Ted Cord origin book. Kind of, but kind of not, with a ton of terrible dialogue thrown in. Um, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's bad. It's bad. Um. I, like, I did my, you know, cursory, cursory, like, flip through, as I usually do, and, um, the art is really cool still. <laughs> yes, yeah, Scott Collins is a good love, artist. I love the Dr. Fate stuff and and all that. And, you know, I was just like, man, I wish this was a book that I wanted to read. Could read. <laughs> yeah. I I agree. I just think I think again, like this is this this is a um it's a Cape Comics trope that could be done away with or like done in a different way. But Blue Beetle was set up with a particular situation at the start of DC Rebirth, right? Like, in in the Jeff Johns Rebirth issue, he established that uh, Jaime had the, the thing attached to his body, and he, he was buddy-buddy with Ted, and Ted may or may not help him get it off, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And that was fine. Like, just run with that concept. That's great. And now they, like, after the first arc, they take a step back and want to explain, you know, what went on before the events of of the Rebirth issue that we we saw. And you just don't need that. Like, I I feel like I didn't need this. I feel like it didn't add anything to anything. And, um, you know, this is like... This is minutia for nerds that need everything explained to them in a comic. And and I don't need that. Like, let's just move forward. Yeah, it's sort let's of... Just get, let's just get a different writer. Yeah, it's sort of retcons Jaime's origin. And, like, that's weird because he had a series in the New 52 that this seems <sighs> to totally undo. And, like, if you recall, at the end of that Justice League uh, International Annual... He, like, slipped into space, and that was a big deal. And all that appears to be gone now, which I, I don't care about. Like, that's not... That doesn't really bug me. What bugged me more is that... Um, is that Ted Cord uh, just gets the name of his superhero co- identity by looking at things. So he, he could he could have been, like, the pink window, if he happened to see a pink window. <laughs> because he sees a blue beetle and calls himself that. So, um, it's just... It's just bad. There's so many bad tropes in this book. 
And again, everybody is a catty bitch with one another. And <laughs> nobody likes anybody, and it's bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to start turning things around now, boys and girls, because we're getting to Deathstroke number nine, written by Christopher Priest with art by... Uh, who did the art this issue? It was somebody different. Yeah, it was... Yeah, Carrie um, Nord. Carrie Nord, yeah, it was That's great. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. This book, guys. This book. <laughs> I, I, I stand every time. I still don't know what's going on half the time. Especially like with the slate <laughs> stuff, but oh, I like it. I really like yeah. um, um, what's his uh, Joseph? Is that his name? Yes. Yes. What's his hero name? Yeah, his son. Uh, Jericho. Um, Jericho. Yeah, that's right. I just totally blank on my Teen Titans history. <laughs> Damn you. Yeah, I love those scenes. Those scenes are always really well done. Um, Oh, and the part, the scene with Rose too in this issue was really like well drawn, and the colors were great. And man, this book is really good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, I, I had a little, little bit of confusion because at one point they they flash back, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if I missed it. I had no idea they were doing that, and then like <laughs> I was really confused. And then, uh, then I went back. I had to turn back a couple pages, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this is like a this is a flashback." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's my bad. <laughs> no, no, uh, I did. I did the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that is so great about this book is that, you know, we we just spent a lot of time talking about how Dan Jurgens doesn't respect the intelligence of his audience, mm-hmm. and Christopher Priest has nothing but respect for his audience. Oh yeah. Nothing is spelled out here. Everything is it, it requires a nuanced reading, sometimes a second reading. It's just it's a it's a really intelligent, well put together comic. Yeah, and it's again like when we talk about the books that have worked in Rebirth, specifically the books that are shipping twice monthly. To me, the ones that are working the best are the ones that have done the most. Like the ones that are that are unabashedly um, ambitious in what they're doing, and I feel like if you think about all that's happened in Deathstroke, while there hasn't been like ten earth-shattering, you know, stories that have happened, you just think there was that great stuff with Superman. There was the great Batman and Damien appearance. There was um, there's sort of the all, all the stuff that that set up the book initially in the first couple of issues. A lot's happened in this book, and Priest is not afraid to bring Slade to different corners of the DCU, and it just works so well. And uh, I hope that this is a lesson that DC Brass is is taking note of, that just that the books that are, that are really going for it are the ones that are really working. And to yeah. me, that is the big difference right now between DC and Marvel where I feel like so many of Marvel's books so many of their flagship titles are just so are just always in this in this stagnant period whereas the books that are really working for DC really do take interesting turns and bring you unexpected places yeah Marvel's problem to me is that they are just constantly in um 
establishment mode. Like they are just constantly reestablishing um, new teams and like putting new teams together and um, you know tabling some heroes, bringing some heroes back, uh, and and just like I I feel like we're constantly in origin mode, whether you're talking about characters or teams, you know, and that feels silly for me to say that after DC just totally relaunched everything. Yeah. But but very little of this has been origin, you know? It's yeah, it's rebirth, but almost nothing has been origin, you know? And the origins we have seen have been almost uniformly bad. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Wonder Woman was the one key exception, but that's uh And that was handled differently. That was handled really well. Very yeah. carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Deathstroke? No, it's good. Buy it. It's real good. All right, Detective Comics, The Victim Syndicate. Um, I guess finale, or this is yet yeah, this is the finale. Yeah, I think so. Uh, written by James Tynion on the fourth, illustrated by Alvaro Martinez. Uh, another really strong issue. Uh, I I thought that it it handled you know one of the things that we have railed against a number of times. Are superheroes fighting each other for seemingly no reason? This was superheroes fighting for a very good reason. I thought they gave this, Stephanie. This is one of the. Sorry, go ahead, Vince. Yeah, no, I, I, th- this is one of the most interesting cases of that concept that I've ever read. Um, and I'll let you finish, Brian. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's all right. Uh, you know, I was just saying. I think this gives Stephanie totally plausible feelings and an understandable arc and gives her a way of dealing with her grief that isn't just, you know, so many times in superhero comics, a hero dies and their friends move on almost instantaneously. And she is not moving on from Tim's death. And, you know, good, it, it's, just, it's just good writing. Uh, this is this was a great issue. Yeah, really, really good, like, character development. Um Tiny has just come such a long way, you know, from like the start of Batman Eternal on through Batman and Robin and into this. It's just like such a nice, clear arc building off of, you know, stuff that Snyder did, but really making it his own. Um, Man, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. um, You know, this isn't one one thing that bothers me about. hero versus hero infighting is that so often they uh they they make a huge deal about it and then it's business as usual like almost immediately you know right. it turns it turns on a dime back to well we need to uh you know actually uh deal with the problem at hand and we're just going to forget about this this massive disagreement that we're having right now uh this is so the way that they handled this is so like rupturing that you've got one of the characters, you've got Stephanie wanting to shut down the entire Batman operation. I mean, that's that, those are stakes. Those are stakes that don't feel um, trite to me. You know, a lot of times, like you said, Brian, somebody dies and then like it, it at once feels like, people forget that uh, heroes are constantly coming, like over in the Marvel universe, <laughs> people forget that heroes are constantly coming back from the dead, you know? 
not to rip on Marvel, but um, but uh, but then but then at the same time, like they so immediately like move on from so and so dying. You know, here it's like Steph is ready to burn the whole thing down. Yeah, and um, and say that you know, saying that none of us should be doing any of this anymore, and that worked for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel this is the strongest that this book has been, and it's it started off slightly underwhelming, if you recall, but mm-hmm. ever since the end of that first couple of pay, of uh, issues, it's been it's been consistently the best bat book. Yeah, yeah. The end of the first arc was huge, and then the second arc, um, I, I would I would say is like equally as as good as important and. Yeah, like a you know a pretty massive status quo shift, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Find really interesting about this book is that it's it's having its cake and eating its two and eating it too in terms of its cast, where you know Harper Rowe is back in the cast, but she's not going back on her word from the end of Eternal that she wasn't going to do this, mm-hmm. and they're bringing Stephanie into the book, and they're going to table her for a little bit. And they're going to bring some of their folks up to the, up to the main, you know, sort of the main focus of the uh, of the team, but they're not getting rid of her. Like it's 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 simultaneously having a big cast, but not feeling overstuffed. It's just a really well managed cast of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, bravo, James Tynan, bravo. Um, all right, continuing good comics, The Flash yeah. number thirteen. Written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Neil Gouge. This is a uh, a Christmas issue. This was a Barry and Iris on a date issue. Uh, it's a Kid Flash centric issue. It um it did to me what the Flash books do the best, which is that it gives a rogue who is not a good person but is also not a terrible person. You know, and it's just the Flash's villains are always are always the most relatable because there's a long history of writers making them so. Yeah. Zach, why don't you go next? Um, Neil Gouge might be my favorite artist on the Flash team. He's good. I Gouge really every good. time I read his work. He's really good. <laughs> Um, this was just, you know, again, I feel like I keep saying like the books I like, I like them because they're just a lot of fun, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Kid Flash was great in this, the, the Barry and Iris stuff was, you know, serious, but playful and, um, yeah, just the Tar Pits little arc, um, you know, was really good. Yeah. It was just a fun issue. So if I could go back and have another vote for issue of the year uh-huh. this would be my pick really this wow. was my favorite issue of a uh a dc comic in in 2016 and um and and probably the best issue of a comic that i've read this year period um, wow yeah, is that I crazy? Mean, no, I, I like the issue a lot. I just, I, I appreciate your, your chutzpah. That's it was perfect to me. Every page, like 
the balance between what young Wally was doing, trying to help uh, Barry and Iris, and just the scene at the end where he comes back and he's making him hot chocolate to ensure that their date is capped off correctly, you know, and like, it just, and then the stuff between Barry and Iris acknowledging, the, you know, the difficulties that they've had, but maybe having a new start, and like Wally proving himself to be a hero that can handle things on his own. There, there was not a wasted moment in this issue. Everything was perfect. It looked beautiful. All the plot stuff rang true. You got the little teaser of the future rogue story at the very end. Like, this was just... <laughs> this is exactly what I've wanted a Flash comic to be for, like, going on 10 years now or something. <laughs> it was perfect. I loved it. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm googing all over it. You really are. To get you a googe mop over there. <laughs> hey, I've worked as a googe mopper. That is not uh, a fun job. Oh boy! Uh, but no, uh, great comic, absolutely. Um, and again, like I hate to keep being the broken record. Think about how much has happened in the Flash. Oh. And that was one that even had, like, an extra long arc to start out with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, so much happened in it that, you know, um, the arc length alone didn't determine, didn't determine. The, see, that that's my problem with so many writers that write decompressed comics with, like, six-issue long arcs. They Some of them seem to feel like in those six issues, they can only accomplish, like, one or two things. Right. To move everything forward. Whereas uh, Josh Williamson has been doing such an incredible job of just constantly juggling all these different elements of the Flash, throwing a little bit in here, throwing throwing some young Wally in here, teasing the rogues here, teasing a potential uh, uh, JSA stuff yeah. here or there. You know, it's just bringing in a bunch of new speedsters, creating a new villain. Bringing back an old villain, you know, it's just, that's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. It's, it's working on all cylinders. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Excellent, excellent comic. That brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 11, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. Um, I think we've determined this is the good Green Lantern comic, right? Well, right now. Right now, yes. This is the good game that's Currently. I, I, I don't know, you guys. We're such Leminski heads that how how could we? Well, this is the good one. That's the great one. Nicely <laughs> <laughs> oh, done. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is um, this is certainly the most interesting arc of the book thus this far. Is, this has settled into being a perfectly crumpulent, comic and i'm fine with that yeah it's it's not going to reach the heights that it that that it did under john's and you know what i've made my peace with that this is a fine comic i'm happy reading it it's not shaking the earth but i'm good i'm glad to see kyle back uh i, I i'm glad to uh you know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, we're getting a lot of the sort of really fun lantern 
stuff that seems like this is all very influenced by what Johns did. It was interesting. I think that Venditti, when he took over the book initially, was trying very hard to not touch the John stuff so much, but kind of to do his own thing to show that it was a new direction for the book. Maybe now that that's out of his system, he can play with the Spectrum Lanterns a little bit and play with Kyle and just make it and just tell good stories in that world as opposed to trying to reinvent the Green Lantern wheel. Yeah. Zach, what'd you think? You're being quiet. I I mean, I, I still like this a lot um, more than I have <laughs> at that qualifier. Yeah, like to echo all the things that you guys said, yeah, this is just, you know, it's not the best Lantern stuff, but it's the best it's been in a while. Um, I wasn't even that annoyed that Hal came back so soon. Um, then Diddy writes a Larflees that's not totally unbearable, which is really saying something. Yeah. Um, like, I actually really, the, the pairing of him with Brainiac is actually really fun. I like that a lot. I agree. That's super fun. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, yeah, Kyle, Kyle and Ganthet and Sade being back. Yeah, we're seeing like a, you know, kind of like you guys alluded to, a return to a lot of these Big John's concepts. Um, and I think we're going to keep seeing that like in the next arc with the, the Blue Lanterns coming back. Um, I think that's the next arc, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I like the interplay here with the Green Lanterns and the Sinestro Corps. I think having, like, Sorenic as the the leader of the Sinestro Corps is, like, a really good um, place for her character to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like this a lot. I, um, I don't know if this character has a name or not, but we got one of my favorite constructs in a very long time. It's the Gorilla... Ver- member of the Yellow Lantern Corps, for the Sinestro Corps, he basically makes just giant arms on top of his arms. <laughs> so he has, like, triple-sized arms going into battle, and I like that. That's fun. Uh, yeah. This is, this is fine. Yeah. And this is also, like, probably maybe, like, the best juggling of the various, like, core Earth Lanterns in a long time. Like, yeah. everyone is getting to do something worthwhile, which, yeah. like, even under the Johns run didn't really happen. No. Yeah, in the Johns run, they they always felt very segmented in that, like, you know, okay, now we're going to move away from the Orange Lanterns, and we're going to go have a Indigo arc, you know? Well, I mean, even just, like, within the Green Lanterns, like, you know, oh, sure. giving, like, John and, and Kyle and, and, and Guy all you know things to do i guess guy is probably of everyone getting kind of the short shift right now but but guy had a big part in the last arc yeah because yeah. he's the worst who's the worst guy you're not a guy fan oh, i can't stand guy oh, oh man the truth comes out yeah. <laughs> this changes everything oh uh, we just need to have an episode where we link where we rank all the earth lanterns it, it, it i mean it's kyle a country mile john guy how but let's let's move on i don't know we could get get bloody in here (laughs) (laughs) Um, i would say uh well i don't know is is uh is alan an earth lantern uh i don't count i count alan as something separate okay he's not part of the core (laughs) not part of the core no you're right um 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, that uh, took yeah. us down a bad rabbit hole. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> um, I, what I was going to say about that was that in so much of the Johns run, those characters were all separated too. Like Hal had his book, and then pre New Fifty Two, Guy had his own book. What was that book called? Emerald. Emerald Warriors. Emerald Warriors, and then but that like spun out of. Green Lantern Corps, which, which like was, honestly, like that was that was some of the best stuff. The Tomasi, it, like Guy and Kyle, yeah, that stuff was great. Yeah, that was that was a peak peak time in the. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this is this is getting to be a good comic. We, we you know what we need to have? We need to have a episode sometime this year where we do, uh, DC three secrets yes and, and we have like our like five biggest dc shames between or for all of us you know guys i have we have too many good ideas and we already do a weekly podcast i don't know how we're gonna do this <laughs> we, can, we can wedge that into one of our regular shows sometime okay maybe for like four shows in a row we each do a dc secret okay and and my memorial one is that i i dislike guy gardner okay Luckily, next time I see you, I'm gonna knock you out with one punch, and that will uh, tie it all together. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, that brings us to Justice League versus Suicide Squad number two, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Tony Daniel. Um, this to me was a marked improvement over the first issue in terms of story, just because more happened, but it's still a very decompressed comic. I think some of the yeah I think I I agree exactly with that and I actually don't have much more to say about it but I do think we need to talk a little bit about some of the tidbits that were potentially dropped. Okay. Um, but pick Zach, them up for us, Vince. Well, Zach, what did you think of the issue? Um, yeah, I still liked it. Um, I really I don't know. I actually, I'm having, it's been a while since I've read it and I'm having to flip back through it because I couldn't remember everything that happened, which I, f I feel like says something about the issue. Maybe okay. I actually, I actually like was kind of confused. I thought that the ending of this issue had happened in the first issue, oh. which again, I think kind of speaks to like how decompressed it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I can sum it up in three sentences. Yeah, I, I've got it. Yeah, but go ahead. Okay. So. The Justice League and the, the the Suicide Squad splits up the Justice League um, to make them easier to fight. Uh, they are eventually subdued by Killer Frost, and they end up in Bell Reeve. And uh, uh, how do I want to word this? There's some there's some background stuff with Maxwell Lord and his team, even though they haven't really converged on uh, the other two teams yet. So. That's that's it. I mean, you guys are right. That's all that happens in this issue. It's, it's we learned that Waller is the target essentially of Max Lord. Oh right, and did did they explain why in this one? I can't remember if it was three or two. I think it's three, is what you're thinking about. Okay, so don't <laughs> <laughs> edit that out, Brian. Nope. Uh, moving on. <laughs> no. So no, but okay, but some of the tidbits from this issue. All right. Uh -huh. Um. Did you guys notice that when Maxwell Lord was uh, – uh, uh, this was, like, probably my favorite moment of the issue. 
when he was talking with his team and Lobo was like, don't use that mind control garbage on us. And he said, I wouldn't dare do that to you. Mm-hmm. His nose is bleeding in like the very next panel. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice that? I didn't. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, I actually noticed on a future cover, I think he's also bleeding from his nose. At one point, there's there's another image of, of Maxwell Lord that was out there somewhere of him bleeding from his nose. So I wonder if that's like his thing. Has that been his thing in the yeah, past? Yeah, that's always been yeah. his thing, I think, when he uses his mind control. Okay, I just I guess I just couldn't remember that about him. He's but, been dead for a long time, so. Well, yeah, and I you know, that, you. that is also kind of a trope of like. There Exerting other, yourself too much, yeah. Yeah, there have been other characters that have used powers and they get like a nosebleed or something, especially in, in anime. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that's usually for a different reason. <laughs> that's a horny reason. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Wait, really? Yeah. Um, it's that's a real horny, mommy. It's, yeah. Okay, but then it's also, <laughs> also they talk a lot about um, potential DC Rebirth like Watchmen type stuff. Um, at one Which point, there's a lot of that this week. Yes, there was. It we is. kind of skipped over one earlier. Uh, what did we skip over? Uh, d- detective. Oh yeah, with with Tim like in the. Uh, we see Tim. In Mr. Oz's yeah, yeah, crap. Maybe like sees what looks like Doctor Manhattan. Maybe yeah, yeah, and like, um, I'm I'm betting that because he, he sends out like a transmission in like the couple seconds that he's out. Yeah, I'm betting that in whatever event we get or or where how however this converges, it's gonna like someone will receive that transmission. That's how it's all gonna start. Yeah, oh, man. I agree. Those um, crossover <laughs> tingles. Yeah. So back to Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Yeah. So yeah. Emerald Emerald Empress mentions something about time being missing. Yep. And she needs to find the Legionnaire. So there you get a a Legion sort of name drop. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also get Maxwell Lord basically saying that. He's dealt with the Justice League before. Uh, they they go back a long ways or something like that. So I, I think it's pretty clear that this is the Max Lord that we've always known. It's got to be, right? It's got to be. I don't know how, but yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, we don't. We obviously don't know the mechanism because that's the big mystery of Rebirth, essentially. Like yeah. What and yet there's a weird bit. Uh, we we actually skipped over it because I had it under T. There's a but um. There's a bit in the Hellblazer I want to talk about in regards to that as well. Um, but overall, I feel like this week... And then in Titans, there's that moment where you sort of... Yeah. Where it feels like they're maybe undoing some of that. I don't know. There was a lot of there was a lot of interesting stuff this week. Um, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but yeah. This is a fine comic. Again, this is like, you know... I, I, event comics are just, to me, almost inherently always stretch too thin. Yeah. Like I think if 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 issue number 1 had all the stuff from the first two issues in it, it we'd feel very differently about this book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. To me the highlight was seeing Killer Frost suck Superman's power though. That was actually re- yeah, like a really cool moment. That was very um 
very uh, Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, a fine issue of a crossover. Um, that brings us to Mother Panic, number two, written by Jody Hauser, illustrated by Tommy Lee Edwards. Uh, this this might set a DC slash vertical record for the most times fuck was said an issue. <laughs> yeah. But I I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this is really good. It's really I keep, good. I feel like a broken record. I keep saying that about books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it it dances around some really tough stuff too. Oh, you know, yeah, like, it's heavy. Yeah, like uh, child trafficking and uh-huh. um, it, uh, um, like what um, like self abuse. What's what's the term I'm trying to like think of? Like like self harm. Yeah. 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 Um, it's really, and it's really fantastic. Actually, the, the one thing I will say, and I, this would probably benefit from me rereading it. I'm not entirely sure what Tommy Lee Edwards is doing. I, I think the art looks great, but it late in the issue, he throws in some like interstitial imagery of like, yeah, the bird uh, and the, and, and like a, deer. A, yep, and like a strawberry that's like leaking some like weird. Well, the a strawberry that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the deer was specifically, remember last issue? Um, yeah. Like, it was about learning to hunt and yeah. how she, she didn't want to pull the trigger. I remember that. I was more confused about like the strawberry and like the imagery of the. There's like a suitcase with. like a bone necklace or something in it. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. I just I just need to go back and read maybe even the first issue and see if there's any allusions to any of this stuff. Yeah. We're reading a ton of comics right now. <laughs> so it, it's very hard to keep track of some, of certain things. I just got to start Wilkerson Wilkersoning more of these. It's yeah. a huge quality of life improvement, I tell you. <laughs> well, well, you definitely seem happier than me, so <laughs> I, I'm miserable. <laughs> uh, anything else to add? I know we're we're giving short shrift to some of these books. We have a lot to talk yeah. about. So, I, I just a quick uh, Batwoman showed up. Yep. Uh, that that she had a funny line too. Who the hell wears white? <laughs> yeah. Which in the in the Batman sphere of things is. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Absolutely. Which it, it is funny because, you know, this is obviously like a much darker character and to have yeah. that contrast, you know, is is it's not groundbreaking or anything, but it is it's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the way this character looks. It's such a cool design. Absolutely. I think it's actually the most the the best bat design since Batwoman. Yeah, sure. All right, that brings us to Superpowers number two by Art and Franco. Um, just super fun. I don't have yeah. too much to add. It made me laugh a few times. Um, it's a delight. It's a delight. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You had the um, uh, what what's it called when it's Batman and Superman together? The composite Superman. Yes, yeah. composite Superman. Yep. You had, uh, you had um. At the very end, you had uh, 
what what's his name? Brainiac. Baby Brainiac. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I'm thinking of um, Jarrell. Sorry, Jarrell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jarrell uh, discovering that the baby is. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a milkman situation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Oh, and there was the unknown Superman from All Star Superman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just a lot of cool little. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. This should be an ongoing. But how long is this going to be? Six, six issues. Oh, it is six. Yeah. Oh. I'm very sad about that. Yeah. They they need either an ongoing or they need like a weekly digital comic so that it's like ten pages, but it's every week. Yeah. I would love that. I think that would be a great venue for them. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Teen Titans number three, re- written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Koi Pham. Um, again, like I-, I like a lot of what's happening here. It's a little heavy-handed in the way that Percy's Green Arrow has also been a little heavy-handed. People are a little bit too uh, on the nose with talking about their feelings sometimes. But overall, I think this is an interesting way to build this team up. I, I like this a lot, actually. <laughs> I feel like this hits a good I don't say this to like be disparaging in any way because I know the term like has a negative connotation in some circles but this feels like very kind of like young adult which is sort of perfect for a Teen Titans book like I feel like it hits that kind of genre and that that demographic like really well just just in terms of like kind of the the you know the the drama and the character beats it I think it works. Yeah, like I said, I think I think parts of it were a little bit heavy-handed. Uh-huh. Uh, there was also a weird, um, like tracker up Kid Flash's butt joke. <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I think it was up his butt. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> well, they he said he said something about. Uh, I hope your healing powers are <laughs> good, good. Thing you have healing powers. Yeah. Um. So I thought maybe it could have been like sewn inside of him in a weird. Uh... Yeah, and he's just kind of like hugging his like torso. So he says, "If I ever ran fast enough to change history, I'm erasing this moment from the timeline." So <laughs> yeah, uh, so you're thinking butt. I'm thinking butt. Yeah, but but who knows? Could have been yeah. penis. It could have been penis. <laughs> that's, that's true as well. Uh, Robin doing dick surgery on Kid Flash is a pretty. Uh, Pretty gnarly image. <laughs> I bet you could go to DeviantArt and find that. I bet oh, you could. Um, I did have one kind of odd thought about this, and I hope that I am just misreading DC's intent here, but did you guys notice that this is just the Teen Titans Go cast with one black character swap for another? Oh, no, I didn't. No. I mean, I don't. I, I see, like, I hope that's not what you mean. I hope that wasn't the intent. Surely. I I mean, I kind of don't think so just because, I mean, I do think it's smart of them to capitalize on the popularity of Teen Titans go. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously like cyborg is off the table because he's in justice league. Right. Um, and I think like equally, it makes sense to include Wally because he's the kid flash right now. Um, so maybe that, you know, just a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not as though DC is, like, above doing that, right. <laughs> you know? I don't want to suggest that or defend them on that, on those grounds. But I do think Occam's Razor in this point, or in this case, is just that uh, 
the fact of the matter is, is that young Wally's been sitting around for a few years now, and they and they need something to for him to do, and this is the perfect venue for him to do it. And like Zach said, Cyborg in the comic universe no longer makes any sense. So right, yeah, and they are adding another you know person of color. They are. That's true. Issues, so that's true. Um, the I liked. I, I just want to. I just want to sure. say like. Yeah. Uh, I I like Beast Boy in this. Like I feel I feel like for the first time since the New Fifty Two started, he's kind of he's written as the Beast Boy that we more or less have known for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they kind of made him a little too edgy earlier on. You know, is the and, red? And, yeah, the red Beast Boy. And now they uh, they they're striking a, a nice comedic chord with him again so are we gonna talk about the red beast boy the way people talk about the gray hulk <laughs> yeah oh wait no one cares about beast boy okay that's so it won't be too much of a conversation wow and like, no, no, cares... no one in like no one cares about beast boy the way they care about the hulk i guess is what i mean yeah i don't know younger younger generations maybe yeah they probably don't even know. Who, well, okay, no, just kidding. I was gonna say they don't know who the Hulk is, but obviously he's in the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was thinking in terms of like his solo movies. You you know what his secret is? The Hulk. Yeah. He's always angry. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the quote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was I was sitting there trying to think like, what is that? I yeah. know that's from the movie, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that brings us to the Hellblazer number five, uh, written by Simon Oliver, illustrated by Pia Guerra. Nice return to DC for Pia Guerra. Um, this was a I, I enjoyed this issue, but I, I'm I'm waiting for this book to kick up a little bit. See, this was a dud for me. Whereas, like you, I thought you thought the last issue was a dud, and I kind of liked it. Yeah, and now we flopped because I this. This was just too much standing around talking about what's going on for me. Zach, did Zach, you... Zach, break the tie here. Or did you I, us I, in this? I can't because I haven't read this in <laughs> several months. Oh, man. And I, I honestly, like, I, I kind of don't see myself, like, uh, knowing that Moritat's going off the book and, and, you know, all the stuff. I don't see myself picking this one up in the way that I will do Superman. So I'm trading. You know, that's fair. There you go. There was a lot of sitting around and talking. There's almost no Constantine Constantining in this book. Uh, but I felt like this was doing a lot of heavy lifting for bringing the character someplace where the book can be more interesting. What my question is, and this is what I was talking about before with, with rebirth questions. Didn't the Parliament of Trees die in the last Swamp Thing? run uh was that the charles soul one yeah i didn't finish that so maybe i'm wrong about that i thought they went away they died on the way back to their their home planet planet. yeah something (laughs) like that uh but they're back here they're back and they're good again they're good again (laughs) did you do it uh wolf howl um this is a I think Guerra's art really worked for the Swamp Thing portions of this book. Um, I also like how they drew Swamp Thing as completely drained of his energy, just being, you know, essentially, like, thorns 
and um, looked kind of like Superman after he was drained by. That is true. By Killer yeah. Frost. They go way back those two, so yeah, this book is fine. Um, I'm I'm excited for the book to actually do something, but I'm sad it's going to be with with Philip Tan and not with Moritat on art or Pia Guerra. Yeah. Um, that brings us to Titans number six, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Brett Booth. This is the end of the uh, first arc, which seems to have started seven years ago, but is just now wrapping up. <laughs> uh, so there. Zach, did you read this one? I did, yeah. Okay, so my question for you boys. In this issue, Wally, and we don't mean Kid Flash Wally, we mean older Wally. uh, Wally has to essentially let go of his memory, or he has to admit that the memories that he has of he and Linda are not real. Is that him severing his tie to the pre-Flashpoint universe? Oh, God. I didn't read it that way, necessarily. I guess just the cynic in me believes that's what it was supposed to be. Like, he's here now. He's he's gonna cut the shit from the past. I mean, I I guess I can see that. I mean, I kind of read it as, like, he can't keep relying on that because it's not, like, it's not what is currently real and will probably, like, really, like, never be... It'll probably never go back to that because I think that now it's going to be like kind of working towards that again but like in the context of this if that makes sense you know yeah um so that's, if anything that's i more saw or less how i read it yeah like it's it maybe like how i kind of interpreted it is um him kind of like resigning to start over i hope that's the case because i i, I really I, like that scene between the two of them I definitely read it more as an emotional uh, sort of valley or peak for um, Wally to get over more than a plot device. But I, now that you said that, that scares me, Brian. <laughs> because I think you cause. I think if you're. I think if you're DC, and who knows? Maybe they'll come up with some genius way to do it that makes perfect sense. But I think if you're DC, it causes you more problems. It's more trouble than it's worth to have these characters that you're reintroducing and then having to go around and individually explain why they should no longer um, have any connection to the pre-New 52 timeline, you know? I feel like that causes more problems than it actually solves. Um. Where, where this is where I'm having trouble with action comics, to be honest, because rather than it being a band-aid that they just rip right off, they've been dragging us for like 14 issues now through a bunch of mysteries that may or may not mean anything or be solved, you know. But right. they all, but they all regard who the real Clark Kent is or you know, whether new 52 Superman is coming back or not, you know? Um, and if, if they wanted rebirth, I mean, rebirth was a huge success and I think we got a lot more victories than there were losses in it. But if they really wanted, if, I don't know, I, maybe this is just me, but if they really wanted to do it right, it should be a band aid that come, that just gets ripped right off. 
See, I, I don't. I just don't know what the end game is. Like, clearly, the Watchmen thing oh. is is this big, you know. Guys, the future is like clockwork. It is like clockwork. One word, Manhattan. One word, Manhattan. Uh, but you know, I just feel like that because of that, because of the Mister Oz stuff, because of the Legion. There's so many things that just need to be tied up. I feel like we're almost going to hit a zero hour type event where like the, the explicit purpose of zero hour was, Hey, we didn't clean up enough with crisis. So we have to retcon some stuff and, and just zero hour was at a very tidy way of dealing with all of the little problems. I feel like rebirth in broad strokes has worked so well, but now like Vince was saying, there are these little problems that have popped up and I could see the Watchmen events eventually being like the the cosmic eraser for things they want to get rid of and things they want to reestablish. I just don't know how they're going to do that. Yeah. So so <laughs> we'll check back in 2 years, but yeah. <laughs> um if what you're saying is true like I would love that. I would love if these 2 years of rebirth if DC somehow managed to take a effectively 2 year long event build an actual working universe with a bunch of great comics that stood on their own and somehow use the entire two years as a zero hour event, then I would be so incredibly thrilled about whatever comes after that. Like I'd be so excited. I'm, I want to know now what comes after this two year plan that they have, you know, and maybe that's sort of like putting the cart before the horse, you know, New 52-2. God, fuck you. All right, all right. Uh, I, I did want to say I do like the idea of Deathstroke being a villain in this book, as Deathstroke is predominantly a Teen Titans villain, and specifically this era of Teen Titans villain. So I enjoy that idea, but I'm very worried about someone not named Christopher Priest writing it. Hmm, mm-hmm. And That's Brett... a crossover I wouldn't mind seeing. Two yeah. books. Yeah, and Brett Booth is just the most Brett Booth he's ever been. He is <laughs> spoofing it up. <laughs> All right. Vigilante Southland, number three. <laughs> Whoa, what was that? Was that, was that you letting out a huge sigh, Zach? <laughs> but what I do... List the creators. <laughs> Written by Gary Phillips, illustrated by Elena Casagrande. <laughs> Go for it, Zach. Elena Grande wrote it? Yes. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. My my first complaint with this book from the start was that it just felt like really generic outside of its, um, you know, what it was trying to do with... Um, with, with, you know, kind of like poor um, African-American communities um, or my, and just minorities in general. Like outside of that, it felt just kind of like a really generic crime vigilante comic. And I don't, I mean like vigilante, not the character, but just the concept. Um, and this is just like still that. Like we're three issues in and I, I don't like, feel a connection to any of these characters half the time i don't even really know what's going on 
Yeah. Um, that see, that was what I, I, I feel you on that, Zach, and that was why I kind of liked the first issue. Like I thought, okay, this is doing a good job, even though it's a little bit cliche. This is doing a good job of getting me invested. But I feel like it's lost all that because it's gone in some different direction that I didn't expect. And now we've got this, like, Patches O'Houlihan character that's training him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a dodgeball reference for <laughs> anyone that, <laughs> you know, he's, he's... If you can't dodge a wrench, you can't dodge a ball. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. And, um, and I just, uh, yeah, it's not, it's really sloppy at this point. The, the, the storytelling is surprisingly sloppy. Um, I mean, I, wa I wanted me. to like it, oh. but. Oh, I was going to just say that it, at some points it feels like gritty just for the sake of being gritty. You know, like you have this like dominatrix character. Yeah. yeah. And just a lot of, lot of swears, which we, I think we mentioned before we started recording, it seems like the number of swears is increasing exponentially <laughs> from issue to issue. Yeah. Well, as Brian said a couple episodes ago, um, it's because the editor's not actually reading it. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're just like testing. It's like, okay, we slipped one through. Yep. Yeah, we'll try three. When are we going to get, start getting letters from Vince's mom? <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be adorable. By the way, if your mom started, uh, Writing about oh, DC this, Comics. This issue is rated M for mature. It is now. Okay. Huh. Um, my mom, uh, my mom once sent a letter to Nickelodeon because of Ren and Stimpy. So it's oh, not really? As fun, not as funny as you would think. <laughs> okay then. This issue does have a a half nude woman being choked. So that is true. Yeah. It definitely earns the rating. Yeah about this book guys will this character ever appear in another DC comic um not uh, in a prominent role I would say Vigilante 2 Electric Boogaloo <laughs> uh okay I think I agree with you guys I don't think there's I don't think we're gonna see uh him show up again Donnie show up again which to me, feels like a huge wasted opportunity. I don't know why you would want to bring a character into the book, into the DC universe, rather, if you don't have plans to incorporate that character into future stories. It just seems silly at that point, but you know. Whatever. Well, I'm I'm kind of guessing that this was in that wave of um, you know, like uh, DCU type titles that. That maybe didn't. Uh... Oh God! I just had a horrifying thought. What? What if for some reason this was supposed to be like a milestone? Oh no, because no, that's not a milestone character. No, it's not. I was gonna say yeah. Okay. To me, they're they're holding back on the milestone stuff because they know they can't fuck that up. Like yeah. that has to be done really, really well. I'm. I've been looking forward to it and it's just not happening what they announced that when did they announce that last like san diego of of 2015 right it might have, yeah yeah you're right yeah good god um 
but I, I know that Jim Lee said at New York Comic Con this year that that's something that they they really really want to get right. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Uh, I mean, not not only are you talking about like subject matter that's more important than getting like your average DC character right, but like. It's also the legacy of Dwayne McDuffie in some ways, right. and um, uh, that's that's more important than everything, considering uh, how dirty he got done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on. We have two more books to talk about. Next one, Wonder Woman number thirteen, written by uh, our pal Greg Rucka, illustrated by Renato Guedes. This issue kind of acts as the bridge between the first and second of the modern day arcs that are happening in this book. Um, it involves Steve Trevor, Steve Trevor, and Diana on the the island that Diana believed led to the mascara, but turns out does not, and she's in sort of this fugue state throughout the issue. Uh, Steve Trevor has a has a, a Van Dyke mustache and goatee right now. I don't know how that happened, but that's okay. Um, this issue was okay. You know, I, this very much felt like what it was, like a transitional issue. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it felt like a filler, but not, you know, not filler that was a chore to read. Just, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like pretty comfortable saying it's probably my least favorite issue of the series so far. Yeah. Um, but still, like, you know, enjoyable. I just, I'm not a big fan of, like, the, um, like, the overarching narration method of storytelling in comics. Right. And this used that really heavily. Um, so that automatically kind of, like, decrease my enjoyment of it mm. it's fine it'll read fine as part of a trade one day yeah that's actually there's there's a there's a conversation to be had one day some fifth week about whether we over uh overvalue either reading experience like if we overvalue the benefit of reading something in trade versus how single issues work because I, I do want to debate that with you guys one of these days like should a writer be going for a a punch every 30 days for the you know 60,000 folks that'll read it that way or should they be writing for a a format that will live on long past their single issues are out of print it's an interesting question. Did you see, um, this is like totally not DC related at all, but kind of related to this discussion that um, Joe Casey's um, image book, Sex, is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's moving away from single issues and going straight to like a graphic novel format. Yeah. Oh. I find that very interesting. I do too. Anyway, that brings us to our last book of the week, which is the oversized miniseries Supergirl Being Super, which, um, I, in the interest of full disclosure, we must admit that neither Zach nor I fully read this issue. I had completely intended to and didn't, didn't realize until I sat down to do the podcast that I hadn't yet. 
and uh, Zach had to mainline the books today to accommodate my recording schedule, so my apologies, Zach. Well, I'm also just squeamish about certain body fluids, or <laughs> not even really body fluids. I guess it sort of is. Just zits? Not normal ones. <laughs> Super zits? Super zit. Uh, but this was written by Mariko Tamaki and uh, illustrated by Joel Jones. And uh, Vince, since you're the only one of us who read the fuller thing, why don't you uh, take us through the issue? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, let's start with Joel Jones because she's one of my favorite artists ever, like top five, and um, has been for a while now. So, like, anything she draws, I'm super into. And this book is no different. It looks great. It does look beautiful. Yeah, it looks – I mean, and it's in prestige format, right? So. Yes. It's like oversized, and it's got like the. Um, well, it's not oversized. It just it just has a spine to it. I mean, the I meant the page counts. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like it's 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 essentially um, like that Dead Man book. Yep. It's the same thing. It's got the back cover even has like the same uh, graphic design. So, so this is this is like a conscious decision that DC is making to publish some of these. Um, prestige format books and i think that's really cool um as far as the actual like story is concerned it's really good it's kind of odd because um it it really doesn't feel or look or sound like what steve orlando is doing so it's kind of runs it's almost like um i you know this is almost more like uh like supergirl um, Earth One, or whatever. It not that sort of the? It's supposed to be that way, though, right? This is not supposed to be in continuity at all. Right, right. I'm just saying it's 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 odd that they. One one wonders where that comes from, you know? Yeah. Like what what went into the decision? Was it because there's a TV show or whatever to do it this way, you know? But it's it's really good. It's um. Uh. It it feels very modern. Um, I think Tamaki has a really uh, does a really good job with the voices of all the characters. Um, it puts Kara in very much in like realistic situations. She she doesn't appear as Supergirl in this first issue at all, um, and and very little of it has to do with any of her powers or anything. And so it's really putting her in these like realistic high school situations and they do feel really realistic um i I, it's it's really relatable you know like it's it's i could imagine a young person reading this and relating to it and thinking it was a really cool take on on supergirl that doesn't feel corny doesn't feel um inauthentic you know i i think it really speaks to uh tamaki's skill um that she that that she wrote it with with such a unique uh, point of view, I think, and um, and only hints at Supergirl as an actual hero, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it was really good. You guys should go back and read it because it's. Oh, I, um, I, I plan on reading it tonight after we're done with the podcast. Yeah, it's really there. There's even some like little heartwarming moments throughout that are really unexpected. I man. If this is the start of of more work from Tamaki at DC, I, that that would be really 
thrilling because I think she could do something within the framework of, of continuity and add some flavor in the same way that like a Hope Larson did, mm-hmm. you know? Um, actually, that's a really good comparison. Um, and yeah, it's funny. It's, I, I chuckled a couple times. It's, it's good. It's a really good comic. It's, um, yeah, I was, I was thrown off by how immediately different it was from anything else in Rebirth, but, um, but knowing that it's not supposed to be part of continuity, um, just a, a, a pretty strong showing. I wonder, you, you brought up Earth One, and it seems like those books have taken a real backseat lately. Yeah. Like, uh, Teen Titans Volume 2 came out with almost no fanfare whatsoever. And I wonder if this was perhaps intended for that, but they decided we're not doing the Earth One books anymore, or at least not for the moment, and let's capitalize on the Supergirl being popular right now, and mm-hmm. let's put it out this way. I don't know. I know. I wonder how much of that had to do with like the weird, like Jeff Lemire, if there was like any bad blood there. Well, I know that that book was was uh, was written long before it was it was illustrated. You know. So yeah, I, that, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, regardless, um, that is our <laughs> nearly. Uh, Nearly two hour episode oh, about it, it'll, it'll be close to like an an hour and fifty minutes I guess, uh, but yeah about rebirth this week so thanks for listening folks as always you can uh, let us know what you think about the show we've had some folks commenting on the multiversity posts lately which has been very nice thank you guys for commenting we also had a very nice uh, Twitter message yesterday from a listener so thank you so much for uh, for reaching out. And you can always reach out to us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, we look forward to talking with you guys next week. So have a good one.